Hello, welcome to Beyond the Filter. I am your host, Liz Ryerson. This is a podcast about digital media, new media, etc., etc. My guest is uh, Jess Skolnick, and you are the editor of the Bandcamp Daily, correct? I'm the managing editor. There managing are, editor. Yeah, there are, there are a bunch of different editors on our team. Cool. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you do and just give a little background and how you got into music writing and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I am at one quarter of our editorial team. We also have a social media person and a designer, so really one-sixth. But there are four of us editors. And um, our job is to solicit and accept pitches on artists on Bandcamp for review and feature. And um, I love doing it very, very, very much. We get to cover a really wide range of stuff. And we really kind of get to highlight artists that aren't getting a lot of coverage from other places. It's really written for the Bandcamp audience who are both fans and artists, um, which is a kind of unique perspective in music writing so that's also really cool to me you wrote for for pitchfork and some of some other more sort of typical publications before that yeah yeah just as a freelancer um i wrote for pitchfork and spin and where else all over the place um but i've also had you know some personal essays published in buzzfeed and other places around that's my other the other half of my life is being an activist and um writing about that part of my world. So those are like more personal political essays. So how did you get started uh, writing about music? What got you interested in it? And how did you come into contact with Bandcamp? So this is a very long story. It's a lifelong story. My parents are musicians. Um, I grew up in a musical household. Um, My dad fixed amps. Um, He had an amp repair business and did sound for local shows in the D.C. area when I was growing up. And when I was young, young, he was also an electrical engineer for the Navy, like as a day job. And my mom's a librarian. So you can kind of see where the interest in music and writing is there, like very, very early. Um, I, my parents are lovely, and I definitely like, did not fall far from the tree in that regard. But I started going to shows really early because they supported me in doing that and would like take me to the record store with them and really kind of guided my ability to explore music that was like on the fringes um i never felt like i fit in anywhere and kind of getting into punk was the first place where i felt like i might possibly be understood um so i started writing zines from there and contributing to other people's zines so i was like very heavily involved in punk and hardcore zine world for a very long time i had a column in maximum rock and roll and Wrote for like a whole bunch of different print zines. Um, wrote for some alt weeklies, and uh, from kind of took some time off from music writing to um, go to grad school, which I ended up dropping out of, and got worked for a labor union for almost nine years. Then got laid off from the labor union, and I had been freelancing sort of like now and again um, while I was working there. And that layoff was sort of the point where I was like, you know what, maybe I should do this full-time again. So I started doing it full-time again. And um, Bandcamp Daily, my boss and uh, editor-in-chief, Joe Keyes, who's amazing, he's the best boss I've ever had in my life and probably will ever have, approached me at the end of 2000. 
15, um, I was in, I was doing a really terrible office clerical job that I really hated and freelancing full time on top of that. And he approached me to uh, be part of the team, um, submitted my um, resume along with a whole bunch of other people. And I was one of the people who got picked to get to do it, which is a dream. It's a dream. It's the, the band camp writing is interesting. Do you know what um, sort of got them interested in, in doing articles and stuff because Bandcamp is obviously like mostly a platform for right. musicians to sell their stuff. I've sold my stuff off Bandcamp, um, as have many people. Um, so do you know what got them interested in um, trying to hire more writers? Um, I don't know specifically like the steps that people took or the discussions that were had, but I know that it comes from a desire to you know, where other streaming platforms sort of depend on playlisting and algorithms and in specific to build those playlists. This is more driven by the desire to have sort of humans come through the site, talk to musicians, to have like the real human element of music discovery there. Learn about artists from people who are as in love with music as you are. That was the mission statement that I was initially approached with and that's how we've gone forward too it's just been core to how we operate it's just writing for people who are dorks about music like we are (laughs) one of the interesting things that i think about bandcamp is because it's a platform you see a lot of different kinds of music uploaded there that you wouldn't you know obviously Mm -hmm. see get covered anywhere and like i know one thing that was a big trend on Bandcamp, and it's kind of close to me too, as a pe- person who's composed for games, is that people would sell uh, either like chiptune or video game soundtracks, mm-hmm. and they would like blow up the the charts on, on Bandcamp. You know, yeah, that like, stuff's still huge. And that's a sort of community, like game composing in particular. Chiptune has sort of more of its own community, although it's still like that stuff is kind of relegated to the side it's not really covered at all by music publications it's kind of like you know people turn up their nose to it which is very strange to me honestly as somebody who's weird like i feel like a lot of there's i didn't mean to interrupt i'm sorry no no go ahead um i was just thinking about how like there's this like sort of mainstream music journalism attitude that it's like amateurish even though it's not at all and it requires like a great amount of skill to make a good chiptune Piece, just as it makes takes a great amount of skill to write a good you know lo-fi pop song or whatever and it, it seems weird that like something like bedroom pop gets covered and chiptune doesn't um, yeah I, I mean i think about this because like when i used to make music for this website called oc remix which was like arrangements of video game music this was back 2003 2004 2005 mm-hmm. and like some of those people went on to do you know, chiptune or compose for video games. The site still exists, but I find it really funny that people saying it's amateurish because a lot of those people wanted to be professionals and mm-hmm. like had like these really fancy setups. Like I never had a fancy setup, but like totally. a lot of these people had like incredibly fancy setups. So like the idea that this is like some people like plinking away or whatever. I think it's not that it's like amateurish as much as it's just not cool. Like it's not part right. of the 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 image that the music world which is very much based around scenes and like being at the right place at the right time and knowing the right people, that whole like freaking 
uh, what's that Cameron Crowe movie, Almost Famous, yeah, like right. that kind of stuff. And something like Chiptune just is fundamentally like in opposition to that. So it's right. kind of like it's it's almost like a threat in a weird way. So they it's it's like kind of I I don't know. That's how I see it anyway. Yeah, which is funny because, I mean, we just ran a story not long ago on um, Colectivo Chipotle, the Mexican chiptune collective. And I thought it was a really lovely, warm story about people being really into certain kind of niche music and building their own community around it. And, like, that is such a universal story. It's the story of punk scenes. It's the story, you know, it's, it's the story of any any outsider scene community and it was like you know really lovely story and it didn't make any sense to me that mainstream publications wouldn't cover something like that yeah it's my frustration too in knowing that like i am somebody who considers myself more a musician than anything else maybe maybe like i i'm very interested in like game design and stuff too but i like i think i identify more as a musician and music is like the strongest part of my life but but I never really separated things that I was interested in from each other like I never thought that like one culture was inherently in opposition to another culture and I right. think when I especially when I started to like I went to college and I didn't follow game stuff as much I started trying to do like a lo-fi pop thing that didn't go anywhere and like I transitioned and like went through a lot of stuff I got involved with video game composing for video games partly because I'm like I thought that that would actually help me connect more to musicians and like music world and Mm -hmm. I kind of found out that like you know just because people care about you in one world doesn't mean that they care about you in the other world and it might it just it's like it seems very much a a matter of like framing how you frame yourself online like if you're if you're in the wrong community or if you're in the wrong place and you you know the wrong people then you're disqualified for appearing in other places Mm -hmm. Uh, and i guess there's something about that that i find just like fundamentally like unfair and like i think that's part of my frustration you know i thought i was like alone with this like i didn't really ask people maybe who were interested in game music who were maybe more successful musicians Mm -hmm. um and a lot of them wouldn't really know like you know how to like meet people or find the right places like it seemed like a landscape that a lot of people were just kind of clueless about and then i think in the last year i've become more connected to like uh people on the offshoot of like the vaporwave community like or like uh things like orange milk records which i had Mm -hmm. keith rankin on and I realized that this problem is actually really, really common, and it's getting more and more common as, like, subgenres that are sort of springing up through the internet form in their own kind of fears away from, you know, what gets covered and talked about more traditionally in the music press. And it seems like the problem is way bigger than I ever actually thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. It really, really absolutely is. I think part of the reason, like, I want to have more people talking about, like, and, I, and I've done a lot of shows talking about music criticism and stuff is, one, I guess, is to try and understand that landscape. But two, I think now that I understand a little bit more, it's just to, like, make some conversations public that don't actually seem like they're not had publicly. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was talking about this with you earlier, but I don't follow a lot of music podcasts because most of it... And I, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing or anything, but most of it is like some form of music 
slash celebrity gossip. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see a lot that reflects maybe some of the more kind of underground or, you know, independent, like really independent, not, you know, arcade fire independent. Right. Um, right. <laughs> uh, Stuff that's and, really genuinely on the fringes. Yeah. Because I don't know. I mean, it seems like even if we're talking about indie rock music, which I think I've said before that I kind of got in to a lot of stuff through indie rock music and I wasn't mm-hmm. really into electronic music for a long time until more recently but it seemed like there were things happening in that world and then that became the same story that became more commercial in like the 2000s and like the atmosphere changed and it became more sort of uniform and like I don't know growing up I s- sort of I was able just maybe through my older brother and some other things doing research online to find artists who I really liked who were not necessarily like super well known and something like Radiohead for me because I grew up in the middle of Ohio mm-hmm. people didn't even know who Radiohead was really like right. a, an artist like Radiohead was pretty much the same to me as like an artist like you know someone a lot more obscure than that because no one had heard of it and the idea I think I had this idea that you know out in the greater world that you know these things would be really popular and that they were somehow on their own level and appreciated and I think it's weird like when you actually get out of your own sort of head you realize like how many sort of weird hierarchies there are between these things and I don't know for me I know it's just reality but for me it's also kind of disheartening because at some level like as artists people really are all on the same level with each other there's no reason it's like circumstance that like a band like Radiohead is, uh, you know, super popular, but you know, another artist isn't. And like, I'm sure skill and, you know, doing something interesting and is involved in some level, but increasingly it feels like it's, it's just a matter of luck and circumstance. So uh, the idea that people are on different hierarchies from each other and that like people are just so interested in fucking celebrity and if somebody is well known, like that just doesn't make sense to me. And maybe it's yeah. just because how I grew up, I don't know. Maybe you feel the same way because you grew up with punk. Yeah, um, it's interesting to me. Um, I'm actually at work on a book proposal that I've been working on forever. Um, but I swear to you, my God, it will get done. Um, but I, I, the book proposal is on um, the interaction of independent rock music of the underground with the mainstream from the 60s to the present. Um, because there has always been an underground, there's always been a mainstream, and they've always been in core conflict and also co-optation. Um, and that is really fascinating to me, um, the longstanding dialogue there. Um, where some people use underground music as a ladder to mainstream success, um, and they start out there because they don't have the requisite connections um, to sort of vault immediately into um, larger visibility. Um, Some people start there because they like the community that goes along with it, um, or there's no place for the style of music that they're doing outside of um, outside of the underground and um, it's just really fascinating watching that dialogue happen I remember seeing Nirvana the summer before 
my freshman year of high, or not my freshman year of high school, the my um, first year of middle school and uh, seventh grade, um, and and I didn't know who they were. It was just like I would go to any show at the nine thirty, um, or you know, in several other clubs. Like I would just go to any show that there was, and I didn't know who they were. It was just like a night that I happened to be able to go out that summer. Um, and I'm like, you know, twelve years old or. <laughs> Um, I was just like, this band's pretty cool, I like it, whatever, like, didn't really think about it, bought a tape, it was just like, it was just another band, um, and then I got back to school in the fall, and like, all of, like, Smells Like Teen Spirit had, like, started blowing up that October, and it was, um, really bizarre to watch frat dudes, you know, future frat dudes, um, like, uh, you know, latch onto this band that I had seen in a grubby little co- club that I wasn't supposed to be in, <laughs> um, you know, a few months before. And I think that that is where my fascination <laughs> with um, this long-standing dialogue comes in. Um, I'm always interested in what what outsider sounds end up making it to the mainstream? Um, is there a limit on how weird you can be? Um, how does the underground push back? Because it always does. Um, and they're always like, well, if the mainstream wants bands that sound like this, we're going to do something that sounds totally fucking different. Um, and then the constant tension between people who really want to make it in the mainstream world um, and people who want to stay in the underground for any number of reasons. Um, so all of that is just like utterly fascinating to me. Yeah, that's. I, I guess the equivalent for me is Minecraft because mm-hmm. like um, I, I didn't know about Minecraft until it started to get big, but like... Um, like I, I read the first, you know, thread on this this uh, uh, indie game message board called Tig Source, mm-hmm. and you know, s- some people that I know were like some of the first people to reply to it, and it's just like any other game, whatever. And then, um, and you know, and like I know the like I, I've met the musician for Minecraft like a few times, and like you know, we've exchanged links to each other's stuff and whatever. But like, um. The only reason I mention that is, like, uh, for Christmas this year, like, I went uh, to uh, my, one of my roommates, you know, lives in town, and his family uh, lives in town, and so went to, like, one of his relatives' house for Christmas, and there were a bunch of kids there, and all the kids got Minecraft-related toys, like, every, every single one of them like got minecraft related toys and mm-hmm. i was just like i i, I mean so I, I know yeah like and and i you know i and i know that minecraft has been around for a while but like just seeing that process because it, it it that's like a one in a million thing like nirvana or minecraft or you know something right. like that that's like but i mean you don't and you don't know or expect it either you know like like i have had people sort of try to like retcon me into being like well, was it like fucking amazing and I was like it was good I don't know it was just a band it was like a rock band with some dudes and I thought it was cool and it was loud and <laughs> I was 12 and didn't know who they were <laughs> like like also kind of was it, it wasn't like this sort of like world changing thing that happened around me and like 
I think people are really disappointed by that. The, yeah, the fact that people perceive that as being world-changing, I think, is part of the problem. Because, right. like, right. I, I mean, there is something amazing to the that the idea that something that starts very small can become very big, obviously. Right. But, like, um, I think it, it kind of takes away from the fundamental uh, thing that, like, this is part of a culture or landscape where there are a lot of other things like this. And mm-hmm. right. it's not necessarily better than any of the other things out there. It just happened to hit the right notes, you know. And, right, at the right time. And, and yeah, time. like, I mean, if you look at what happened with Kurt Cobain or you look at what what's yeah. what's happened to, to, to Notch even, like, right. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I mean, he, he has a lot of money, but he's totally become a belligerent borderline sociopath like uh, um like that kind of stuff really destroys people too so like i think because like as a culture we sort of worship those moments because they seem so larger than life it it kind of distracts from the fact and and, like we're so interested in that we're interested and i feel like the landscape to go back uh to talking about i feel like the landscape of music based around sort of coolness and being there is kind of around that like it's like i knew before everyone else that this thing was going to be cool and popular right but it's it's not so much about like um supporting like underground art communities of underground artists it's like you knew you had a jump on the scoop like you were part of it's there it's a very sort of it's still a very sort of like capitalist mindset that you're buying into uh when you're yeah when you're doing the i was there crap (laughs) right like cultural currency it's all about like i knew about this thing before you did and so i'm way cooler than you are um and so i have social capital um and and people buy it yeah it seems very very deeply permeated into um music writing like especially I mean, during the 2000s, you know, because of the internet, there was a lot more interest in artists from the past who maybe were less well-known, but now had become well-known, you know, like, Uh um, a lot of, like, 80s, like, Our Band Could Be Your Life, that book, or, like, um, you know, uh, talk about the Velvet Underground, which, I mean, you know, they've always been kind of popular in that sphere, but, like becoming more well-known and more mainstream recognized um and it just it seems like it was like mining those past culture for those moments of like being Mm -hmm. like oh well this artist is big now so you see i was there before and you know like it's just it's it's very strange and um i don't know like it's it's upsetting to me because i i think about um when the uh, lead singer for the band Suicide died, yeah, uh, last year, Alan Vega. Uh, yeah, Alan Vega. Um, the the other guy from Suicide was talking about like, well, I wish we could have gotten this sort of recognition, you know, in our life, or especially when we were doing stuff, because they were saying that like there was so much hostility in mm-hmm. the punk in the punk scene, not oh, just yeah, like. Totally to what they were doing and like they even got like interviewed by like you know like uh that big punk book by legs mcneil and they like got cut out they just totally cut out of those interviews and like you know erased from history because they didn't fit whatever narrative and Mm -hmm. 
And it's like easy to go back in time and sort of be like, oh, these things were okay because, you know, the, this artist uh, that a lot of people didn't know about uh, or hated, now people suddenly like them. But right. it's like there's an element of that, that that's like not okay. Like why why does it have to take 30 years, you know, right. for this artist to get recognized and of being erased not only by outside, outside culture, but of people even within uh, that cult, that subculture who don't like it or don't think it's part of like whatever image or whatever, you know, that they <laughs> want to project of it. Right. Right. And there's also like, I mean, that punk has its micro trends as, as, everyone does um and like watching people sort of jump on different bandwagons um is really interesting to me um sometimes it's just out of like you hear a band doing a thing and you're like I want to do that thing too so like then you you know you're like I want to make a thing that sounds kind of like this but um just because you enjoy it but mostly it's because of a more cynical um, everybody is doing this thing and so this is the only thing that's going to get my band booked and it's the only thing that's going to get people to recognize us um, thing whether I think that's conscious or not I think that that plays into it um, and for punk world to claim that it is less uh, subject to that kind of market trendiness um, than the outside world is ludicrous <laughs> yeah or really any underground scene I yeah think be, I th yeah it happens yeah it happens everywhere i think because like i think about this like um you know the the independent game world i think uh started out um i mean there are many different iterations of that but uh, of the last like 10 years or whatever it started out and a lot of those people were like well i don't care about making lots of money and then they made lots of money and like mm -hmm. <laughs> you know like uh and then people who were doing the same thing that they were doing five years later were not having the luck that they were having um oh, and like um I, but I think it's like easy for maybe for people who are involved with punk or whatever or you know things like that that have more kind of an image of coolness to be like well we're anarchist we're very anti-corporate but like this thing like chiptunes or vaporwave or like video game music that's that's corporate that's core but it's like no you, it's it's all the same it's you know in same. some way like okay. and there are plenty of video game makers who are you know anti-capitalist and there are plenty of punk musicians who are like straight up you know free you know capital as capitalists yeah, free market capitalists yeah absolutely 100 percent um just because and this is actually something i was talking with um my friend chris strunk who is a very lovely person um was in town for the um the iso socialism conference this weekend uh this past weekend um and he ended up staying with us uh sunday night and we were talking about how there is a desire to ascribe to punk, um, you know, this, again, like sort of a retcon history thing, but like uh, to ascribe to it a, um, a particular set of leftist politics that it didn't have. Um, punk as a, as a primary impulse is just reactionary. And, um, that's why you have like 
the swastika used in a million different ways um, in the you know in early punk because like there were some people that were using it as like a fuck you to their parents and there were some people that were using it as an ode to their parents and there were some people that were just like this is a thing that pisses people off so we're going to use it and there were some people who were like like we're going to repurpose this so like in a specifically like trolling fascist sort of way and so like and then there were outright fascists so it sounds so much like vaporwave so much like vaporwave to me yeah it's the same it's totally the same the same thing it's a reactionary it's a reactionary genre um, and the desire to sort of ascribe uh, a leftist politics that grew out of that because that's part of a reactionary impulse is, you know, leftist politics that critique the current system, right? Um, but that's not what all early punks were doing, um, and that's not what punk as a whole is. And I think that even though... To a large degree, you know, being an being anti-capitalist, being involved in like in leftist activism, like that is my world, absolutely. But um, there's nothing endemic about punk as a historical force that is that. Um, yeah. And to mischaracterize all artists within that that zone. Um, to sort of paint everybody with this broad brush is, is really ahistorical and really um, like you're never going to get a good analysis out of an ahistorical perspective so yeah well I think maybe that's led to um, some of the things that are happening in the current era where you know people are um People are aware of um, some degree of like, you know, there's been a lot of progress made with people recognizing um, sort of cultural misogyny or mm-hmm. racism and kind of that stuff. And that stuff has seeped into music coverage and it's seeped into media coverage in general and um, in ways that are really nice and people are, you know, able to be a little bit more um to go back and like say like hey maybe there were you know these acts or ideas or artists you know that were ignored because you know of the color of their skin or because they were women or you know because they were queer etc um but i think the the other problem is um there's almost like a lack of uh admitting to uh, larger structural issues like and having a dialogue about that and like the dialogue about what purpose really does like music writing or entertainment writing or just general cultural not even specifically writing but just general cultural discourse um have and like what function does it have and i think that's like also led into the like you know, I, I talked about this before, but like um, that there, like there is that era of like you know, um, I was there before everyone else. I'm so cool, like writing, and and that's sort of like also what Pitchfork sort of started to make its brand on back in the day. Right. Um, 
and then that sort of changed as people were kind of becoming more aware of critiques of of issues of misogyny and racism and that kind of turned into poptimism and some of the some of that but like as a reaction um and as a as a way to reevaluate rock snobbery then it's it's good but all but also like it only ever seems to be interested in like these like massively successful massively popular artists and not seem to be willing to take on any criticism of them and like the systems that they're participating in right um and that's kind of where we're at now and that has started to like blow up but it doesn't seem like i think like it doesn't seem like l larger dialogues about some of the, the reasons why these things keep happening where there's like one reaction one way and one reaction another way but mm -hmm. but both somehow seem to avoid talking about you know some structural problems um, yeah oh i think you're it is it's super frustrating i think you're absolutely 100 percent correct in that and there's something that frustrates me like pretty much 24 7 and in that you also get the commodification of identities right so you get like people who are interested i have noticed like by far an uptick um in uh writing in, in like being marketed bands that like because i am like an out gay writer and like very like public about my gender and very public about who i am because it's part of my, me and part of my life um there are all lots of other aspects to me as well. Um, I have been getting, like, just deluged with, like, you need to write about this band because they're also queer. Um, and it's used as a marketing angle. Um, and it's the same thing that happened, uh, you know, in the 90s with, like, write about all women artists because all women, all women good. Like, you need to support the sisterhood or whatever. Like, no, you don't. Um <laughs> Also, we're but also we're critics, <laughs> um, and uh, I can support somebody doing something in theory and not want to cover them because their music is not my thing at all. Um, and I think that that I mean it gets into really really tricky ground um, where who you are becomes the sum total of what you have to offer, as opposed to who you are affecting the work that you make because it is a product of who you are and the tools that you have and the resources that you have and your life experiences. Um, and that's much more complex and nobody ever wants to talk about that. Well, Except and it, it happens. <laughs> I'm still it, yelling about it. I think there are people who want to talk about it. People are just afraid because of how much hostility there is. Like, yeah. I mean, the environment of debating anything online right now is an incredibly hostile like it's the worst it's the worst and it's got it's just gotten worse because of all the trump shit and everything mm -hmm. so and so people's fuses are short and like a lot of people's brains have just been <laughs> blown up by <laughs> by things that have happened um and i think like i, I mean it happens also within, like, if we're talking about, like, the queer community, within the queer community, like, if you have queer punk bands or whatever, there is uh, probably an enormous amount of pressure to be that 
one band or that one mm-hmm. you know that speaks up for queer issues and and does that and and you know is is everything and that often rewards people who are just trying to game the system as is the case with that power bottom that, band that's exactly what i was gonna say is like that's how you get power bottom like that's it exactly and, and like i don't know like i'm sure I haven't really listened to their music, so I don't want to make a judgment on that. But there are many queer artists who make really, really interesting things who will never get recognized for it. And the idea that, like, you know, and and this isn't just this isn't just like the music sort of journalism criticism landscape, although that is a major issue, and and that's the 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 realm we're all sort of serving. Uh, systems where we don't have necessarily a lot of control or wiggle room to actually do the right thing because like within queer communities like you know if 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 you want to get more um, exposure to you know issues that queer and trans people are going to which is really important obviously Mm -hmm. um, then there's a lot of pressure within those communities to be that person and do that and talk on all those issues and if you don't like oftentimes it's viewed like you betrayed the community Mm -hmm. and you're not you know and like if you don't like certain people if you don't if you get on if you get on the wrong side of certain people who are very popular then you're out of that community you don't get to be in there anymore and it they could be really fucked up they could have done something really fucked up but it doesn't matter because they're popular you know in their because other people have recognized them as being important or popular so the the thing that they serve for the queer community is is more than what you serve even if they've done all this bad stuff right <laughs> and right. so you're stuck you're stuck and so the the real tragedy of like power bat a bottom or whatever is not that like uh some queer artists got fucked over it's it for me it's more that like it's it's the people who uh get stepped on on the way mm-hmm. and like the thing is like i know that this happens all the time like the the thing with the guy from swans like where yeah. it came out that like he had raped somebody and then it just the news just disappeared and right. like you know uh whereas it just with... became like he said she said and like the the stuff around also like this is something that like i know that you and i were talking about when the power bottom stuff went down is that like his community is not one that will call him out for it um his community would like much rather shove it under the rug like that like I love I love swans I have trouble listening to them now I don't know if I would I don't know like I have a very complex relationship with them um and I don't I think it's for everybody to make their own choices about like when an artist that you love aesthetically does something absolutely terrible it's like up to you as a listener to decide where your own line is there. Um, I think that the current atmosphere is very didactic about like they're fucked up. You should never listen to them. And that's like a very prescriptive thing. Um, I personally have trouble listening to artists who I know are, have done really fucked up shit. But like, I also know that it's a little bit more complex than that. Yeah. Okay. So a dimension that I guess doesn't get talked about a lot uh, with something like Swans is like I I do think Swans is like musically interesting Mm -hmm. and something like Power Bottom maybe less so and I think part of of and and part of the so it is easier for me to dismiss 
maybe something that is less musically interesting. And I think part of that is also like that um, there is a side of that that like, you know, someone like Michael Gira or Gira, I don't know how you pronounce it, um, is able, uh, the guy from Swans, uh, are able to be successful and to be integrated into a scene and do this stuff and able to have, to be able to have nuance and um, because he's kind of viewed, you know, he's viewed as the default, which is a white guy in like right. punk, punk music or, right. you know, whatever. Whereas an artist like Power Bottom, uh, the only way that they can sort of get noticed to the degree that they were noticed in the landscape right now as queer artists is uh, by framing themselves in the way that they frame themselves. Right. Totally. But yeah, exactly. Um, and so there's so much more... Like, when you're the default, like, you are allowed to much more universality and wiggle room, and um, there's a whole, you know, a whole lot of, like, well, it's just one guy. You're allowed individuality, because you are not expected to answer for your community um, and be a representative of your community in the same way that marginalized artists are. Um I think, because I think that's a side of the debate when people will be like, um, you know, maybe like, well, this just isn't as good as something else. Or people will suggest, you know, maybe that like women are not as good at this thing or whatever, which is like obviously untrue. And you can point to examples of women being really good at something. Right. But I think. At anything. (laughs) but, But I think there is a larger part of the debate which gets ignored, which is like, part of the reason why there are less women that maybe are able to uh, realize uh, their vision more fully in this world is because they're not uh, allowed to Mm -hmm. and like and or not just women obviously but like um, and because you're in so much of a prescribed role and there are so many expectations on you you're not allowed to be this like nuanced individual and I think that's like the larger problem and there isn't like a there isn't an answer to that like you can't say that like oh you know women are strong or or queer people are strong or trans people are strong so they're just going to overcome it's just it's just unfair that's like that's the only like there's no there's no way to answer to that there's no way to say that like you know if if maybe their artwork is less interesting than somebody who's had a, a time to develop their full career and like time to think about these issues in the abstract and mm-hmm. like but that's because they haven't had the time they haven't had the the culture that has encouraged them and this is the other thing that i think like a lot of people don't understand too is that like nobody makes something in a bubble like you are always affected by forces around you even artists that people think of as being people who hold up you know in their in their house and like you know even like james joyce or somebody um yeah nobody's apolitical there's no way to be (laughs) like there's no way to not have context yeah yeah well exactly i mean if you look at and and like i was saying like you know people who are viewed as like iconoclasts or people who are like you know the people who hold up and and like they existed within the culture of their time like even someone like david lynch like thinking about the new twin peaks and all that like uh were were able to be successful because they knew the right people who were interested in like experimental film and like interested in that kind of stuff or like someone like james joyce was was around in a time where there are a lot of people doing experiments Mm -hmm. with uh fiction and and novels and a lot of people interested in reading that so you're always making things for an audience and 
when that audience isn't there it's a lot harder you can't just you, you know like and that's the reason why there are also artists uh in the past you know who make really one really interesting album then disappear right. um because they don't have the sustained like int- if you don't have anyone who's gonna listen to it then right you, you need, know right you need both support and feedback um there needs to be like you as an artist exist in dialogue with your audience like there is no artist without an audience yeah well and that's i don't know that's where criticism becomes so important and i know like i think like um you know i've i've said this before again but um I've noticed in like the world of video game stuff, the video game journalism and uh, game developers and stuff are a little bit more intertwined, especially if you're talking about like independent games, which sort of led to some of the uh, ideas that reactionary people had about video games, where game developers were supposedly sleeping with journalists to get right. coverage and all that crap. But like um, in in music it seems often pretty separate like a critic and an artist like you can't really be both you can um i am i make music and i also write about it and i think that that's something that i run into like kind of often is this idea of like objective criticism which is extremely silly to me um of course like like, you can't be, you, like, people have told me, like, you can't be an artist and a, and a critic. Um, you can't make music and also write about it, but you can. Um, and being steeped in it and knowing things like, knowing how, like, different creative processes work and thinking about, like, the functioning of different instruments and different songs and whatnot is different when you are a musician yourself. Um, and I feel like that's aided me in being able to write accurately um, and thoughtfully about music. Um, I think it's been a real boon for me. Um, where it um, where it gets complicated is when uh, you start talking about again friendships and relationships. Yeah, uh, that's that's always the big problem. I've I've got with like in video game land, I've gotten into a lot of trouble for that, and I think I probably messed up some friendships because of that. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard it's a hard line to walk. I mean, my. My line is if, like, I am friends with, because I'm friends with a lot of other musicians, some of whom um, are covered on sites that I write for, but I will never, ever, ever be involved with any of that coverage. Like, I won't assign it, I won't talk, like, you know, like, I need somebody else to to handle this completely, like, because yeah. I'm I not guess... touching at all. Um, I can put people on to, like, hey, there's this record by my friend, it's really good. Um, and they can do with it what they want, you know? Um, yeah. But beyond that, like, I, like I just won't touch it because I don't feel comfortable. Um, and I would never, ever, ever write a piece on something. I have gone on to become friends with people that I have written pieces mm. on. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But in, in the initial writing, like, I would never, ever do that um it just there's the lines too much and you can't it's not even that you can't be objective about it because i don't think objective criticism exists um like it comes out of you as a human being um yeah and your 
experiences and prejudice well, I, ideas. I think I think a person can be more cued into the the core of something than right. other people certainly. Right, definitely. Um, but I think that to have that context, to bring that context to the table of this person being somebody that you have a relationship with, that you have affection for. Um, it's good. It, like whether you think it does or not, it's going to affect the way that you listen to the record. Yeah, uh, I, I it's it's tr- I think it's hard because uh, being in the the video game world, it's a little bit smaller than in music where there are so many bands and so many artists out there. Because right. like if you go to like one big game conference, you can meet a very large swath of people who are releasing stuff. Right. Um, so you can know like a very large amount of people who are making things that are actually really good um, and that can be a really big problem because yeah. if you go to enough events and meet enough people then you know then you can't even cover things because it's like half the you know half the things that are coming out are by people that you've met or you know had a conversation with but right. anyway um, I try not so, to my line per- my personal line is like if I have met the person, that's fine. I'll cover it. If we've just had, like, a very surface-level conversation, yeah. Fine. But if, like, I would hang out with that person independently if we have, like, text conversations and, you know, like... Yeah. Like, genuine emotional sharing things about your lives, like an actual friendship, then no. Yeah, that that's a good line to draw, I think. Yeah, totally. Because there are definitely fewer people who I would categorize having, you know, of having that relationship with, but... But yeah, so I guess um, one thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit was um, <laughs> where where the fuck do you think music uh, journalism, music writing, and some of this stuff is going? Because um, you know there was the recent news about uh, MTV News mm-hmm. um, and a lot of writers who were good writers mm-hmm. uh, got fired. Um, and by, you know, the MTV News, uh, just as a little background, was like a division of MTV. Um, and it's, uh, I think it was run by people who used to write for Grantland, mm-hmm. which was a, a, like an offshoot of ESPN, which is more sort of in-depth, um, you know, uh, nuanced, critical pieces right. about culture or whatever. Yeah, but Dan Fireman, who was the, um, I think he was the editor I I do not know correctly what his title was, but he was sort of the editor-in-chief of MTV News, I believe. Uh, yeah. And well, he and had I'll... been at Grantland. Yes. Well, and a lot of stuff came out recently that, um, you know, th- they were sort of hamstrung by being able to write anything, like, super critical because of the fact that it was coming from MTV. And, like, there was one example of a guy who had written an article that was mildly critical of Chance the Rapper. Like, which... barely. <laughs> like, in the most, in the most like, benign way that one can ever even be possibly critical. Like, it, like it was just like, I don't know, there's some parts of this that don't really hit me. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Chance was like, I'm never working with MTV ever again. Um... Unless you pull this piece, and they did. Yeah, unless they pulled the piece, and yeah, exactly. Um, so, <laughs> very I guess, to me. I guess that that comes that comes up against sort of the compromises of like um, the 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 music press um, mm-hmm. and just 
press writing about uh, culture and entertainment in general um, is like um, it, having a sustainable website, having a sustainable like you know way to make content online um, where you're not sort of subject to these very corporate forces and, and powers that be and things that are beyond your will that limit your ability to actually be critical and evaluate the culture from any kind of, uh, I won't say objective, but maybe like nuanced cr critical view um, is severely limited uh -huh. and increasingly limited um, you know, I was, I mentioned this to you earlier too, like I read a website, a uh, UK based website called The Quietest a mm -hmm. lot and like constantly they post about how they're not making any money through ad revenue and they're not sure if they can continue and like they need to get donations to stay afloat and like, you know, this is a reality for, for many, many websites out yeah. there. And The Quietest is a, like, they've been doing like really, really in-depth work for a really long time there. I I really admire a lot of the stuff that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And they will cover, like, I mean, one of the reasons that I like them is they will cover things that other, you know, mm -hmm. music websites won't. Um, but, and, like, so so what do you, so so what happens to this, right. like, this, like, is does it just disappear? Like, and, and I think the problem is, like, I've noticed uh, this atmosphere, um, you know, where, uh, I can't remember if we were talking about this before I started recording, but like, it seems like people are very unwilling to ruin potential uh, opportunities or relationships yep. uh, by being too critical. But then it creates a thing where like, the amount of opportunities that anyone has are really dwindling anyway. And it's not like you get paid very much to write for a lot of places uh, because they just don't have the money or they just don't pay their writers that much, especially freelance. And um, so you have dwindling opportunities, but but people are willing to kind of hold on to that um, with the be be and and not be too critical, um, just so that they can hold on to whatever is left. And it just seems like something has to give at some point. Oh, and I, oh. I don't know. No, it's. I mean, we're in a very very dark place, and especially thinking about net neutrality and how that's going to affect things. Like if that if what they're trying to pass passes, then the entire world goes upside down for all of us. Um, and obviously the people who have the most money um, will be the people who are able to access the internet and have their sites accessed um, more, you know, more frequently. Um, and so that, on top of everything that's already going on, is I, like the 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 trend in in our current society towards greater conglomeration um, and you know the more the more wealthy owning more of the world um, and the rest of us owning so much less um, the gap gets bigger every day um, it's terrifying it's absolutely terrifying <laughs> well there's so much like underground culture and uh things that you you know you can find on the internet um and and like things have been really unequal for for a while 
um, you know, for a long time, really, mm-hmm. um, on the internet. Um, yeah, absolutely. A long time in internet years, anyway. Um, like the last ten to fifteen years, I would say. Yeah, and like, and and already, um, you know, people doing things on the underground are sort of relegated to the corners mm-hmm. of, you know, social media and all this stuff. But, you know, increasingly, especially because of recent news, which I won't say exactly what it is, um, um, more and more culture is disappearing mm-hmm. and is more is in danger of disappearing. I'm worried about Tumblr also. Like, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, Do you know how and- many, like, younger music writers I know who came out of Tumblr? Like, so many of them did. So many, like, super talented writers who were able to get picked up um, who are probably like 10 to, again, 10 to 15 years younger than me, like that was their primary platform and that's where they started writing and where like us dinosaurs finally saw it. Like, that's so many, very scary to me. Yeah, so many visual artists, mm-hmm. um, you know, who who get have gotten interest for their work, been able to survive and like get noticed and get people to buy their prints and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff so much culture just not just on tumblr but just on a lot of these very precarious platforms right. um that is in danger of immediately disappearing um and that isn't necessarily going to be able to go anywhere else and like what do you do and i, I don't know like i feel like <laughs> i feel like some of the response that i just see to people is is like this kind of resigned like uh <laughs> like laughter like ha that place sucked anyway and it's like what the fuck is your problem right like Like, we need to we need to focus on preserving as many outlets to self-publishing as there possibly can be right because like that's how underground culture survives is self-publishing and it it's so important that it survives because like if if there isn't if if it doesn't have the ability to exist online, where does it have the ability to exist? Like... Right, right, because our entire world is online now. Our entire world is, and that's how business is conducted, and that's where you find your audience. And again, like we were talking about, art is nothing without an audience. So how do you find the will and resources to construct your art if nobody is able to listen to it or look at it or you know or purchase it like it's very it's it's very scary um and I, like the online marketplace is where we live right now <sighs> i'm so scared <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just like a lot of people th- may not think that this stuff affects them, but it totally does, especially anyone who, you know, makes their living doing things off the Internet to any degree. Yeah. Um, And they're, who are not, you know, incredibly successful, which is most of most us. Most of us. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, and it's interesting, too. Like I back in the days when um the music industry you know, when there was still sort of a, a label industry and an independent label was a thing that you could run um, and uh, count on people buying your product in some sort of, be it LP or CD. Um, but the aggregation of all of that onto streaming services has made life so much less viable for um, for independent labels as well as musicians. Um, people might 
be able to access it, but like, how do you find it? That um, article, I don't know if you read the article that Liz Pelly wrote for a lot on um, how Spotify playlists work, but it's incredible. Um, she did some really, really good reporting on that. Um, and the, the basically the content farms who are hired to um, construct those playlists and how, you know, people with money can pay to put on them and, and whatnot, like, it's a, there's a whole system to game, and of course it privileges people who have money and resources. Um, and you don't get paid for streams. You get paid, you know, pennies on the, literal, like, half pennies on the stream. Yeah, yeah, literal. You should link me that article so I can post it in the description cool. for this. I will. It's so good. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's, <laughs> there's like, all of that going on, too. Um, so labels don't have money to support artists anymore um, because they're just trying to eke by. Um, artists don't have any money. But, like, there's no structure anymore to support us because people don't buy physical merch at the rate that they used to because of streaming services. They do they do pay to go to shows, but I yeah. guess, you know, if you don't have the resources to be able to book the right venues or to have, right. you know, an audience that knows about you, it's kind of difficult to do that. Right, exactly. In order to get booked at the venues, I mean, like, I can't even count the number of, there is all, there always will be, and always, like, God bless it, like, there will always, always be a, um, a you know, a vibrant house show community um, in punk world, and it's great, and I love it, but you often get paid barely enough to make it to the next town in gas money. Um, you certainly can't make a living that way. Um and uh, so in order to book the venues that are going to pay you enough that you can actually like make a living off of what you're doing, you need to have um, you need to have gatekeepers because there's no way for people to it's especially if self-publishing goes away, especially if we lose access to self-publishing platforms, there's no way to build an audience. Um, it's gonna it's gonna depend on people who you know folks already know about and so and people who are generating buzz through access to say having a PR person or a manager or being on like a pretty large visible label um, and the number of those are dwindling <laughs> so <laughs> well yeah and like you also have people who are maybe um, who do have success um but maybe not you know um you know like super uh, superstars or whatever who like maybe um aren't sort of willing to acknowledge the way that or or talk about the ways that um these uh how how difficult it is for anyone else trying to get started with no resources now like i, I was thinking about somebody mentioned this um uh, uh, the Anoni um, uh, wrote a really good piece about um, sort of the sacrifices you have to make as an artist working with streaming platforms mm -hmm. and it was a good piece and there were a lot of good points made or I think it was an interview but somebody made the point that like well 
her album, you know, she might not be like Frank Ocean or whatever, right. but like her album uh, got a lot of praise and right. for being relatively challenging, it got a lot of attention, right. a lot of people and a lot of respect. And um, she isn't really aware of how even more difficult it is for anyone trying to like mm-hmm. get started now. And I, I feel like right. there's because that kind she of... She started like back in the days when there was like kind of a robust music industry. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, like the the venues for even having these discussions seem seem difficult because they seem so um, like there's nowhere that this discourse is is able to happen outside of people being upset on Twitter or something. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and that of course is limited in many ways um, by the functionality of the platform itself. Um. Man, <laughs> I, I'm so oh, so, <laughs> so let's like let's end. Spent the last like 15 minutes or so talking about maybe some of the positive things that can be done about this. Yeah. Um. Really, man. Thinking about, I mean, really, just like getting behind um, artists who are doing. I mean, there there are things like Kickstarter and Patreon and um, and whatnot for supporting artists um, who you believe in. Um, and I hate that that's pretty much our future, but it is. It's <laughs> it's 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 my life. I'm supported through Patreon. That's yeah. how I pay my bills. I I signed up for. Um, thank you, Patreon supporters, for listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> I. I um, uh, I I kind of I think I started at the right time. I started right when Patreon started out, and I was able to get money and support through that. Um, and I'm very blessed, but I do not have nearly as much money on Patreon as a lot of other people. But I'm able to pay my rent. That's amazing. Um, which is yeah, amazing when you think about how the landscape is for a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, there there are a lot of problems, issues with it. It is be- a better alternative to a lot of other things, but it's not. No, it's necessarily a good one. No, <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, until we overturn capitalism, everything's good. <laughs> um, and until then, we just have to make do with the tools that we have um, and keep in mind all of the flaws that they have as well. Like, they're certainly, certainly not a perfect system, um, but supporting artists through their own websites, um, through Bandcamp, through Kickstarter, through Patreon, like, those through, you know, whatever self-publishing platforms um, and ways to to give them dollars that they have um, going to their shows, um, especially if they're smaller bands. Um, and supporting them that way, I think that that's, I mean, that's how this stuff is going to survive. It's going to be through direct artist-to-audience connection. Um, and people being willing to look outside of what they're I mean this is gonna it's gonna involve like curiosity (laughs) and that's hard to foster but I think it's really important to foster that in people is is a sense of adventurous listening adventurous viewing um thinking about how even if um you're not necessarily comfortable um, 
with something that say it's just like it seems a little too weird to you. Um, it seems a little too out there. You don't quite understand it. Um, but giving it a chance, um, that sort of like human adventurousness and curiousness and willingness to sort of dig into the world and not just not just support artists who are part of this like big star system. Um, yeah, like it's going to depend think... on that too. You, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think we live in an era where people are treat content as disposable because yeah. there is a lot of disposable content out there. That but <laughs> something that is kind of more unique or different or you know work through there's something very uh, sensitive to that and there's something very fragile about mm -hmm. it like you know that kind of thing can go away very easily and it it's not it can necess not necessarily come back so just depending on the idea that these things and these aspects of culture will exist just because you know we think that there of you know people will just continue to make something because we have content platforms or whatever that's not true at all right. like this stuff can go away very quickly um and yeah i don't know i think it's so easy just because we're in this place where we're so blinded by content mm -hmm. um a lot of which which is disposable but then there's stuff that is not you know and it's fascinating too how much disposable content um larger platforms churn out um, yeah, because because they are dependent on clicks for money, right? Um, so that's become like the nature of the game. Whereas like smaller platforms, I mean, we do um, five features a day, one review, and four interviews or um, or lists or um, and our lists are not like listicles. It's not the same thing. Um, but four interviews or lists or features um, a day, and that is an enormous undertaking for a team as small as ours is. Um, but it's hard to struggle against that, even to sort of, like, get people to pay attention to what you're doing in this, like, endless content flight because bigger platforms that have a lot of resources are sort of, like, out there putting out 100 gazillion articles a day, like, throw with mm -hmm. it because putting they need the click. Putting out, putting out video content that no one watches. Yeah, God, the fucking... That, that's the thing about the MTV News um, thing, if the, you guys don't know, um, that we didn't mention, is that um, everybody got fired because the site pivoted to video. Um, because And not because there's more, like, reads or clicks on videos or there's more interest in it, but because it's easier to advertise right. on video. Right, it's easier to monitor it's easier to get advertisers interested in. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, that, like, there was the whole argument that, like, oh, people aren't reading, like, these 2,000-word stories or whatever, but people were reading. Um, and people do read. As somebody who publishes stories of that length, if you do really quality work, like, people absolutely will read it. Um, but it is hard to um, even get them to click on it and <laughs> first place because they're just like I've I've read like 1700 articles today and like all of them were like throw you know most of them were just like useless throwaway articles or I've noticed a rise in advertorial lately that is really really pissing me off um it's all over my Facebook feed which is really interesting almost every like 
if I see a sponsored post from like a site that I don't usually read, it's almost always advertorial, which I think is really interesting. That is pretty <laughs> depressing. Yeah. I think like um in some ways uh you guys at Bandcamp are pretty lucky because Bandcamp, you know, is able to sustain itself through because through being a content platform. Yep. And which lucky. means yeah, which means you have a lot of more leeway and there's a lot of culture and stuff that's happening on Bandcamp. So you have a lot more leeway to cover this stuff. Yeah. Um we have endless amounts of music to cover and some of it is bad and some of it is good and but a lot of it is good like i mean i will say like i i've read a few of you know probably three or four of the like here's a massive amount of different artists uh here's like a little bio of them like i read one about um artists of color in oakland yes yeah. i used to live in oakland and i wanted to know about that yeah. and like you know i'm always worried when i click on these things that it's going to be you know the kind of power bottom situation right. uh but it wasn't it wasn't that, i actually really liked a lot of a lot of the artists in that um that article was awesome when the when the writer brought me that article i was also very wary of it um but the more she talked about the individual artists and the fact that like they're all connected to each other it wasn't just like here's just some random artists of color that we like threw together it was like a scene of people who all know and support each other um, yeah, I, I actually have met one of the people who was in that article. She used to be roommates with somebody that I know. That's awesome. But... I loved, and I loved every artist in the article. Like, I listened to all of their records, and I was like, this is legitimately really good music, and it's challenging music, and it's interesting music, and I want people to be able to hear this. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the good point, that it's challenging and interesting music. Like, it's something different, too. Like, I, I really liked the article about experimental Japanese artists mm -hmm. too because um, I mean I got into some of them through uh, Orange Milk Records and uh, you did a good profile on Orange Milk Rules yeah and like um, it's not just that you know these artists are out there or that they're good it's that they're doing something different mm -hmm. too and they're doing something that like a lot of people don't know about and it's actually worth like it's not just like another thing that's pretty good or even like good you know just from this like default level of like you know good indie rock band that's good at writing songs or whatever it's like actually something different you know that's the kind of stuff that that changes culture and, mm -hmm. and adds and you know like and that's what people should know about and I, so I'm 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 really happy that you guys are doing that stuff but I I really don't know if that has the ability to exist on because like Bandcamp uh, at the end of the day is is a is much more benign than a lot of other content <laughs> yeah. content platforms. Yeah. And I don't know if like a lot of other content platforms, you know, if the future is like content platforms hiring people to write about stuff, then obviously the thing about us is that we have such a wide variety of music in so many different corners and a lot of it is really challenging and interesting and, and people are doing something experimental and different um, we have the luxury of like having a lot of that stuff to cover and not being forced to cover the same like five artists that everybody else is but if you are a huge content platform that depends on major label artists who are part of that star system 
Like you're going to find your your venues controlled by that and you're not going to be able to like deal with criticism in the same way that we do. It's a challenge every day to sort of whittle down the immense amount of things that we could cover. Um, I am booked out currently. My current editorial calendar is booked out into September right now. Wow. <laughs> Just insane. Because, like, we have that much stuff to cover. Um, and there's so much incredible music out there. And there's stuff that gets missed. And there's stuff that doesn't get covered that I think is really cool sometimes. Like, if the the future can't just be content platforms right. writing about stuff. Yeah. Although, like, you know, if some do uh, as good of a job of Bandcamp and they have the amount of artists yeah. putting stuff out, then then there's potential for, you know, doing really interesting work there. But obviously there also need to be independent publications. Right. And, and, like, a Patreon and stuff, I think is it's doable. I think people like want that to some degree but i don't know exactly how you find that audience you have to let people to be able to express their discontent openly and be mm -hmm. able to talk about these things openly and like right. i don't know i i think part of my worries are that like you know some of some like reactionary kind of 4chan sort of culture will become bigger or more you know uh -huh. which maybe i'm like I don't know. It's it's not. I mean, we have it in the White House right now. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. unfounded fear. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh God. Um, well, especially especially in the in the where there's like a vacuum of things that are uh, genuinely sort of critical or challenging because people are so hamstrung by. Mm -hmm the the economy or like they don't want to uh the economy of these things or they don't want to like ruin potential relationships that they just don't say things and then you know the a reactionary sort of group ends up taking over and like that that happens like i watched that ha that happened in video games you right. know like right. <laughs> i i mean like it's a little bit different but yeah, but, like, that's essentially what happened. And, like, so these things are real, like, actual threats and problems, and it's not just that, like, you know, if you if this stuff disappears, something, it's not necessary that it's anything, anything, nothing might replace it, and nothing, and nothing good might replace it. So, right. like, that's why it's important to, like, <laughs> you, honestly, like, there's less to lose now by saying by just saying stuff and just saying it openly and being like hey like let's actually try and fight this and do something different because if you don't then maybe nothing will happen or maybe something even worse will happen and like all this culture goes away all these things go away because people are afraid right uh to say anything about it i mean ultimately i mean there are things there like content platforms publishing stuff like this, like we're like we're doing as a stopgap. Patreon is a stopgap. Um, the building of new independent institutions is going to be the future if we are to survive. Um, how we do that is seems it seem it often seems like an insurmountable challenge, but I if we don't try, like we're never going to you know, like we have to be able to at least try. To build them, we have to believe that they are possible. Um, yeah, well, I think that. they're possible. We need them. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> if we're having, 
like if we're having this conversation right now i feel like it's possible right. you know well, e- even if like i i mean i'm probably like only gonna have like 100 200 people listen to this that's still something i guess that's a start you know that's that's something yeah i mean i am buoyed right now by the fact that um that uh i am i mean i love my dog also but like Outside of that, um, I've been working for the last four years on trying to open an all-ages venue in Chicago um, because there is none. There is absolutely no place for young kids to play. And if there's no place for, like, young kids to play and see outsider music, like, outsider music dies, right? Um, It was integral to me to have a place to have that um, because I was so young when I entered punk world because my parents gave me the opportunity to do that um that set out my life path for me um in some ways and um I feel very lucky to have had that if like kids need a place um and right now it's so much harder like you can't just walk into a record store anymore and pick up a flyer for a house show because um, you can't publish house show addresses anymore because cops will come shut them down. Also, like, you know, with, with like, things like the ghost ship fire right. happening, there are more sort right. of res- more and more restrictions on that. Right. Um, and venues, like, can't be all ages because they depend upon alcohol sales. Right, exactly. Um, so the only way for us to structure or something like that was to do it as a nonprofit above ground um, art and and music community center um, and it has taken us four years to find a space because commercial real estate does not want to rent to that to a, to a just getting off the ground nonprofit art space <laughs> that is specifically geared towards like teens and young adults um, I it's been hard convincing landlords like people like that live music and experimental live music in particular um, and participating in live music being part of the audience as well as um, being somebody who makes music is a public good Um, I believe that it is a public good Um, without it culture dies so um, so it's taken us a very long time to find a space but we are at the point where um, we are in lease negotiations on a space um, I don't know if it's going to work I don't have you know it's not a done deal yet but we're further than we've ever gotten um, just out of sheer luck and like determination we've seen hundreds of spaces I think we've submitted applications on like 33 of them or something like that but Wow. Um, this is this has taken four years for us to do, and we just never gave up. Um, and hopefully, this one works out. Um, if not, it's back to the drawing board. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But like, you have to just keep going, right? Like, if you really what el- yeah, what else is there to do anyway? What else is there to do? But like keep looking at spaces and keep talking to landlords and whatnot because like the space needs to exist I believe in it I know that it needs to exist yeah well 
Well, I, I wish you the best. I think, like, Thank you're you. talking about it being a public good. Like, if we have, you know, if we ever actually have, like, more left-wing <laughs> leadership mm-hmm. in, in this country, um, uh, hopefully I, that becomes, I, I feel like that should become a, a central point for artists yes. to talk about yes. how how we we need that sort of culture and we need it to be treated as a public good and not just like a commercial space from the local level on up is so important yeah yeah absolutely it's, in, it's important for, yeah it's so important for for communities it's important for actually getting people into the same space as each other and like mm-hmm. talking about things and because like you know our culture right now it's very isolated people don't i mean i don't really know my neighbors or talk to them you know and that's pretty much the same with a lot of you know most people so um yeah yeah i only know my neighbors because i've lived in the same place for a while now um but most people don't it's yeah. yeah like and i should mention on the local leftist government tip that Part of the reason that this particular space is so welcoming to us is because it is the only ward in the city of Chicago where the alderman has made um, arts funding, has earmarked local funding for arts and music. The only ward in the city. Wow. Um, So the alderman of that particular ward is totally behind us, and without his support, I don't know if we could do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the landlord would be as open to talking to us. Well, so it's I, that's why it's super super important to man. I like I am always the like biggest yeller about local elections and um, mm-hmm. and about how like everybody is engaged with politics right now because we can't not be because we are in a legit dystopic state of emergency, um, but. Once, like, once this passes, if we all don't get blown up or zapped by, I don't know, like... Or or poisoned by lead poisoning or... or, Yeah, or poisoned by our water or we run out of water or um, it becomes too hot to function, like, which is what I meant by zapped, like, zapped by the environment. Yeah. Um, Yeah, if that doesn't happen first... Um, I worry about people not engaging with their local government um, because it's, you know, you've got a million things to think about and being engaged on, like, a very local level is hard to do. Um, And it's also, it gets a whole lot less coverage and, like, it's not as glamorous. Um, But, man, like, if we are going to affect any change in our culture, like, it's got to start there. (laughs) It's also... At the end of the day, it is a lot better and easier to talk to people in person than it is yeah. to talk to them online because online is is a space where it's like, I mean, you know, I have Facebook friends who immediately blow up on each other, like more, even more so than in the past now. And that's just like we're in the era of like, you know, angry online discourse because everyone's freaked out mm-hmm. and upset. Um, so 
that's why it's like even more important to feel like a human being to have like yeah you know conversations like i mean i i go, make an like, effort go just... to your neighborhood meetings like go to your neighborhood association me- association meetings like go to your like tenant meetings go like see your local like councilmen or aldermen or whatever like if you have a concern about how shit is like going in your world these are yeah the things that affect us like on a daily basis like of course, I'm a total hypocrite on this because I don't do those things. <laughs> I, I, I guess, I guess time. I, yeah. I was way more focused I, on sort of like get out in the streets activism, which is a lot more glamorous. Uh, yeah, but, that's true. I saw, yeah. I mean, like one thing that you can do even online is just like, uh, don't talk to people on public platforms like message them privately right. talk to them on the phone like right. i mean that seems it seems ridiculous that i even have to say that but like it feels like people talk on the phone less and just like angrily post on facebook more it's like oh, totally. it's more worthwhile to actually have a conversation like where you can talk to somebody about stuff and i don't even know why i need to tell people that but i feel like i need to no because we don't and like i have friends that just like don't answer their phones ever like, I will, and I, you know, like, I'm old, so, like, I'm from, I'm 38, like, that's not that old in the grand scheme of things, but I grew up, you know, talking to my friends on the telephone in high school, and, like, through college, and, like, having, you know, those kinds of, like, marathon phone conversations and shit. Um, I really like talking on the phone. <laughs> and um, sometimes you just, like, have to have a conversation about something, and you have to hear somebody's voice, and I have, like, friends who will like legit us not even pick up their phones and they're they're my age too so i don't fucking know <laughs> um yeah that's just how things are i don't know we have to start somewhere and if it's just just talking on the phone that's better than something else i suppose you know yeah but like it's better than a lot of the options that people are choosing right now yeah totally i mean if you can if you can like click on a petition to send it around on the internet somewhere. Um, most of those are incredibly useless. Some of them are more useful than others. Um, the more local and focused the petition, the better. Or if we can, like, pick up the phone to, like, call our congressman's office about healthcare, like, we can go down the street to, like, our neighborhood association meeting or whatever, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't require that much more energy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been a great conversation. It has. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. It, it makes me really happy to talk to you. Um, my brain feels good. Right? <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm always like, I, I feel so privileged to be able to have these conversations, and I hope people get something out of them. Like I said, I just don't feel like there's a lot of venues for this discourse, and no. even if only like 100 or 200 people listen to it, it still means something to me. So No, seriously, thank you for providing uh, a space where we can have these conversations, because they're, they are so incredibly valuable. Well, thank you. For, uh, thanks again, uh, Jess Skolnick. Uh, they write for Bandcamp. They're associate editor at Bandcamp, also music writer. Fo- uh, what's? I'll put your Twitter in the description. Yeah. Uh, um, My Twitter's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, and you can also, I guess I, I never mentioned that. You can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash E-L-L-A-G-U-R-O. I'll put it in the description. Anyway. Support independent artists. 
yeah support more independent artists absolutely support more artists um support independent platforms and independent magazines and independent work um the more institutions we have absolutely okay well thank you so much for for being on i appreciate it thank you so much